Ahoy there, knaves, knights, and sailors alike. It be me, Captain Chessbeard. And this here be the Tuesday Night Podcast, episode 117. I be here to warn ye of stormy seas ahead, and that sea hag of a storm be called Technical Difficulties. Yeah, that's right. Expect some crackling, expect some audio spikes, even expect some popping of their microphones. Yeah. But worry not, for in this episode, Alan Gearding is joined with special guest Randall Thompson of Caper Games. He will recount daring tales of being a small company and the attempts at achieving distribution. But remember, as we sail on through these stormy technical difficulties, that next episode we will be joined with the jellyfish boned Sean McCoy for our special romantical Valentine's episode. Ooh la la. Hopefully, we will have names and knights send in their own romantic stories that we may share on the special episode for Valentine's Day. Be sure to send in your audio via podcast at TuesdayNightGames.com. Spelled with a K, Atlanta numbers. Spelled with a K. Send in your audio. We want to hear your romantic stories or just games you've played with significant others. Anything that you may think falls under the flag of Valentine's Day and romantic games. Heck, it could be the most unromantic stories ye've ever braved before. But if it has something to do with the tabletop, yeah, we want them. But that be next week, so let us raise the anchor, hoist the mizzens, and set sail on this here episode of the Tuesday Night Podcast. Gear! Welcome to the Tuesday Night Podcast. I'm Alan Gerding, and this is the podcast all about the stories we make while playing the games we love on, around, and under the gaming table. I'm talking board games, you know, those card game things that, if you're listening to this, I'm sure you like to play. But I'm not alone. Today, I have a guest with me with an oh-so-sexy and mysterious accent. Who are you, sir? Uh, I'm Randall Thompson. (laughs) Good to be on the show. Now, Randall... Yeah. We're going to talk about all why you're a guest on this show. But first, we need to figure out where that accent's coming from. It's, wow. I will be honest, I'm not sure if I've heard an accent quite like yours. Wow. I like it. Wow. Interesting. You know, it's really funny because I live in Victoria, BC, Canada, on the West Coast. But I grew up in Cape Breton, Nova Scotia, on the East Coast. So every once in a while, someone says to me, what's that accent that I hear? So it's probably my old Cape Bretoner in me that you're probably hearing, I suppose. (laughs) Yes, 
The closest accent that I have heard that sounds like it, and I don't mean this as an insult because you're way better than this, Tommy Wiseau from The Room. Have you heard of Tommy Wiseau or nope. seen The Room or The Disaster Artist, which is a new movie that's out at the theater by James Franco? Have nope. you heard of any of these movies? Nope. I did not hit her. It's not true. It's bullshit. I did not hit her. I did not. Oh, hi, Mark. <laughs> well, now you'll have to check it out because that accent, Nova Scotia, it's good, man. Ah, I like it. Yeah, that's probably what it is. Cool. So here's what we're going to do next. Let's go ahead and you give us your audio business resume. Basically, tell us what your involvement is in the board game industry. You know, I'm a little bit older. I'm 56 now. So in 1990s, I got an eye injury at work. I was working for the government here in Victoria, BC. And I got an eye injury and I got a disability. I have photophobia, which means I'm extremely sensitive to bright lights. And it changed my life. I, I lost my job over it. I was raising my three kids at that time. And we couldn't watch TV and I couldn't go on computers. So we kind of went back in time. And we started listening to the radio, reading books, and playing board games. The board game we were playing at the time was Monopoly. You know, really, really simple stuff. Right. I'm sorry, but yeah. keep going. Although I have had some really good times with Monopoly. Yep. We could have a whole podcast yep. about Monopoly. I'm sorry. Don't let me interrupt. Absolutely. Go on, sir. Absolutely. Because I'm here with you. Sometimes I support Monopoly because it's that old time classic and it's, it's just something that people can understand easily, right? That kind of became the beginning. One night, I was also listening to um, Vancouver Grizzlies. Uh, Vancouver had a basketball team then, the Vancouver Grizzlies, who are in Memphis now. And I was listening to a basketball game one night, and just an idea for a basketball game came to me. You know, when I was a kid, I used to invent games myself. So this kind of came back into my life, and I drew it all down. My kids helped me with it, and that became a game called Crunch Time. Crunch Time? Yeah. Long story short is, it was a, it's a basketball game, but we were kind of going around the edges. It was like a basketball court. You know, a little bit of Monopoly was in it, you could say. You know what I mean? Like going squares, rolling the dice and stuff. But I incorporated all the rules of basketball. And my kids had some input. We would spin the spinner for three-point shots. Did a lot of work in it. And a long story short is we ended up getting Dirk Nowitzki to endorse it. And he's a big star from Germany. He was playing for the Dallas Mavericks. I talked to his agent. And I ended up going over to Germany. And you got to remember, during all of this, I really had health problems. Not just my eyes. I have fragrance intolerance and stuff. I, I can't take perfumes. I can't take glues and Randall, papers. Yeah. Randall, let's time out. Yeah. Can I ask, yeah. am I being insensitive if I ask, how the hell did this happen? Which happened? The health problems? Yeah. What yeah. happened with the eye injury? What happened at work that caused all this? Well, I was working... You can tell me to go to hell. No. If it's none of my business, I'll no. totally respect that. No. I've, I always tell the story. I've been interviewed many times through the years, and it's always a big part of the story. I was working on a photo reader machine in Vital Statistics, which um, takes pictures of people's marriage certificates, birth certificates, death certificates, you know, for relatives. And there's a light source down there, and there's magnifying glasses and stuff. And one day, something just popped... And I got all these squiggly colors in my eyes. And for a long time, nobody could figure out what was wrong with me. And I was getting like massive headaches and stuff. It was just completely weird and bizarre. And none of the doctors could figure out what it was. But a couple of weeks later, my GP came back off vacation, this old Dr. Uchuk, and he said, you know, you've got photophobia. And it was like seeing everything in life like glossy magazine, right? Everything was super bright. So I had to get special sunglasses and I had to learn to handle this through time. And then it finally plateaued. So as long as I don't have bright light sources, I'm okay. But I can't take cars at nighttime, car lights at nighttime or, or anything oh, wow. bright. Yeah, yeah. 
how are you doing right now? Because I assume you're sitting in front of a computer screen as yeah. we're recording. Is that an issue? Or are you looking away? What's the situation there? Well, it's way better today because first of all, it plateaued, you know, went down a little bit. But the second thing is, remember the computers used to be so big and thick like TV screens, you know, and that yeah. crazy light source. And now they all, the laptops we have, you can turn the light source really, really down. So our computers are down to the lowest they can be on light source. So I can use them. It's really That's nice. That's the power of LED lights, baby. Yeah, as long as, as long as they're turned down, I'm okay. You know, so I like everything. I like yellow lights. I like everything soft. Well, at the same time, it really, really weird. I, at the same time, I had something which I thought was a fragrance intolerance. Suddenly, I became sensitive to, and many people thought it was related, sensitive to smells and stuff. So, like, if I went on an airplane, I couldn't sit close to the bathroom with the soap smells. I can't sit beside somebody with perfume and stuff. All those things turned my life upside down dramatically, and... All the board game stuff I've done through all the years has been kind of dominated with uh, running this obstacle course of chemicals, sensitivities, light things. So that's been a big part of my gaming story. So let's go back to Germany, yeah. Deutschland, yes. with Gert Kavinsky. Yeah. And what was that interaction like? What happened? The story continues. That was great. So I got invited to Germany by Holger Geschfindener, who's the manager of Dirk Nowitzki. The family was really nice in Germany. You know, I just met them casually and met the manager. And Dirk had a big thing with the NBA in Germany in Würzburg, where he's from. Sprechen Sie Deutsch? Uh, bisschen, really, really small amount, which is really funny because um, you sound like you do speak German. Nein, mein. Nah. I almost said mein Frau. Yeah. <laughs> mein Herr. Yeah, so no, I'm yeah. American. And the joke is, if you're American... You're lucky if you speak two languages, but anyway, yeah. Yeah, well, it's really funny because I met a lot of Americans in Germany because I was there before in the military, and I really kicked myself that I didn't learn more German. I know enough to, you know, order beer and a, a meal in a Gasthaus. Ein Bier, bitte. Yeah, Gasthaus German. <laughs> so I, I met Dirk, and the funny thing was I actually met my future wife there, who Ooh. at the time, Zilka was in Germany. I met her through this basketball game. You know, I always think God's at work through all these things in my life. It's very strong. Zilka was helping the basketball uh, federation over there with their graphics and stuff and websites and everything. And I met her and she helped me like to be the front person to the German people with my game. And she would translate and talk to everybody for me. We would go to stores and promote the game and everything. And then we've been together ever since you know, off and on. Sometimes she's had to travel back and forth, and me too. But um, that started the whole board game thing was crunch time in Germany. And when I was there, I fell in love with football, what we know as soccer, right? And so then I invented soccer tactics. It was in 2006, and the World Cup was in Germany. So everything kind of went together, and I invented soccer tactics and Ninja Galaxy while I was in Germany, and then came back and kept inventing games from Canada. So that's the long story, short up to about 2007. Games are huge in Germany. A lot yeah. of Americans still don't realize that we're just blossoming in America when it comes to the tabletop industry. But in Germany, it's been thriving and strong for years and years. That's why Essenspiel is over there. And that's why there's so much of a culture around gaming where it's very typical for a first date for two people to go out and play games. Mm -hmm. So this is really exciting because you're basically going to the motherland of board games. Yeah. And you're meeting the love of your life, sounds like, and you're designing these games. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, you're right. You know, I went to Essen for the first time over there, Nuremberg for the first time over there. Essen was just wonderful, you know, and crazy, incredible thing to learn. 
came back to Canada and then we put uh, what was called Foosball Tactique into Soccer Tactics, put it into four languages. Over the years, that sold around 20,000 copies. So it was kind of our first thing that actually, you know, sold well. Then what happened was I didn't really invent anything for a few years in Canada. Zilka was just my girlfriend at that time. She was going back and forth. And of course, I, I had my kids here and had to get reconnected in Canada because I was gone for long periods of time to Germany. Is there any unnecessary drama there? Is there some juice there as far as marital discord at the time, divorce, widower, none of my business, go to hell? You just tell me. <laughs> well, I was already you know, separated and divorced. So there's nothing strange there. The only thing was just getting... When Damn I was, it, I was hoping for a juicy I gotcha story. But no, this is on the up and up. This is cool. Keep going. Yeah, well, there is a tiny story there. What was interesting in, we were at one promo in Germany and... I was actually kind of trying to be a ninja master for Ninja Galaxy, and I had uh, kind of sunglasses on in a Kelfhof, big superstore in Germany, and I got another eye injury when I was there. I think I was trying to compensate for my bad eye. This was a big thing. So I came back to Canada, got reconnected with my kids. I had bad eyes again, and you know it was just an up and down struggle. And I wouldn't invent another game until 2011, which I invented Striker Soccer Card Game. Then I wrote my first youth book called The Strikers, based on some strikers uh, rags to riches kids from Nova Scotia, where I'm from, Cape Breton. And then that turned into Shooter's Hockey Card Game in 2014, which is a really nice hockey card game. And, you know, Canadians love hockey and so do Americans. That would all lead to into the 2014, 2015 area where I where I invented this new game, Get Adler. And that was because I was, uh, we were watching a black and white, um, what we thought was BBC series from Britain, which turned out to be Granada or something. But it was Jeremy Brett in Sherlock Holmes. And if anyone knows Jeremy Brett and Sherlock Holmes, uh, we were just amazed and astounded. You know, people who love the Sherlock Holmes type stuff, he was just such a master actor. And I fell in love with one of the characters called Inspector Lestrade in the thing. And this all inspired Inspector Sharp, Agent Gold, and all the stuff, uh, which we now call Get Adler. So Get Adler. I've played Get Adler. I enjoy Get Adler. In fact, you have a quote for me on your website. So let me crush on you a little bit. Website, looking good. I love your logo, too. How'd you get the logo? Caper Games is the name of your company, yes? Yes. Well, the funny thing is, we didn't really think about a logo, but it kind of just came to me. You know, I'm from Cape Breton, and, you know, even though I live in Victoria, it's kind of like you can't take the country out of the boy, you can't take the Cape Bretoner out of the boy. And where I come from, there's not much employment. It used to be all coal mines and stuff, you know, and, and lobster fishing and stuff, but the coal mines are all closed down, the steel mill is all closed down, and they're desperate for work. So I love Cape Breton and, you know, I would love to be successful if I could create something in Cape Breton. So they're close to my heart. So the logo is about Cape Breton. Caper Games is, of course, from Cape Breton, although Caper can also be a crime case also. But I wanted to incorporate the bowler hat from Inspector Sharp because it's all about being clever and smart kind of thing, right? So that's kind of what the logo is all about. Yeah. Now, Git Adler, it actually plays well with younger children. It's like Guess who with a hidden role, and then it's a hand management chase game. It has different phases, so it almost feels like two different games combined mm. into one. Would you say that's blasphemy, or would you agree? No, that's with exactly it. You get that from everybody. The secret to it is a two-part game, and um, as you know, the first part is all about... Whoa, 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 Randall, yep. slow down. Okay. On this podcast, we like to punish the people that come onto our show to make sure they never want to come back. Uh oh. And the way we do that is with the old elevator pitch. Okay. You have a minute to explain your game. Now, this should be an old hat for you because you've probably explained Git Adler a whole bunch of times. But you're going to get into an elevator. It's a long elevator ride, so you're going to have a full minute. 
And usually we have our guest do a character. So it's not just you giving the pitch. It's some character. Is there a character you like to do? A voice perhaps you're good at? Uh... Get nervous. If you're not nervous yet, you should be. (laughs) I can't really do a British accent. I'd like to do Inspector Sharp. You want to do Inspector Sharp? Sure. Why not? All right. Now, here's what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to spend at least five to ten seconds in this elevator pitch explaining who Inspector Sharp is in the first person and then tell us what Get Adler is. Are you ready? I'll try. (laughs) You sure you're up for this? I'll give it a go. Okay. Elevator going up. Well, I was quite amazed when Agent Gold from MI5 called me, wanted me to help her track down dirty double agent uh, Adler who had stolen top secret documents. And the most amazing thing was I thought it was going to be a good day because I have a little bit of a crush on Agent Gold. She's a striking blonde and she's very intelligent. But I had to put aside my crush on her and focus on getting Agent Adler. (laughs) He's stolen top secret documents and we got to ask some tough questions. We got to look for some clues. We might have to do some stakeouts and we're going to arrest this dirty scoundrel. And uh, we have to be careful because he can escape with motor cars and buses and he can go underground or take a boat on the River Toms and he's got a bomb and he can do disguises and this is all going to end in a shootout. I know it. Even though we have to really get Adler, I really have part of my attention on the beautiful Miss Gold. (laughs) Hey, well done, sir. Thank you. Man, here's what I loved about that elevator pitch. It was definitely about the story going on. You definitely didn't waste your time talking about all the mechanics. You told the spirit of the game as far as like figuring out who Adler is and the chase and how he can get away and how it always ends up in an old shootout. Exactly. Yeah. So get Adler. The other way I've described it is it's like, guess who in the first phase where you're trying to ask other players questions to figure out if they're Adler or just a regular mm-hmm. agent. But then once Adler's found, he's got to get the documents yeah. and get out. And at that point, it's mm-hmm. hand management where if he plays the bus to get out, you can play a bus like I'm right on you. And he's like, all right, well, I'm going to do the bicycle. Yeah. Well, I got a bicycle too, pal. Yeah. You're not going anywhere. But then if someone pulls out a gun, you got to keep on pulling. And at that point, mm-hmm. it gets dangerous because whoever has more gun cards They'll be the victor of the shootout. Oh, man. Does that sound fair? Did I do that justice? That's just it perfectly. So the first part of the game is you're right. uh, People say, guess who? I always say these are just the characteristics. Like, you know, in in real life, when the police are asking uh, you to look out for somebody or something like that, they just, if they have a hat or a coat or their eyes or hair color or a scar or something, right? So it's just basic police information to find this uh, bad guy. So we've got Adler and we've got also Kate Collins. The second part of the game, Jamie Stegmaier said to me one time, he was a backer like you on our first Kickstarter. Oh, yeah. And he said to me one time, the second part of the game with our escape cards that everyone at the table can match. And that really keeps everyone in the game, right? He said, that's your differentiator. I think everyone loves, the first part is the is kind of like the quieter deduction type, but the second part, it kind of explodes when everyone's revealed at the table. And now the really fun thing you have to chase, Adler, can you get him? And he has all these ways to get away. Good guys are trying to capture him. There really is that story element in it and you can really get into it. It's quick, it's fast. And our experience is, like you said before, In our games, we always love to be able to have kids get into it really family friendly so anybody can play this. And it's really cartoon violence, which is, would you say? That's what I think. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. At no point did I ever think or did anyone ever accuse the game of being hyper violent or insensitive to anybody, really. Yeah. Hmm. But I love the bomb in there. You know, I know it's, you know, when you think back to your childhood, you know, you just think of these things with someone opening their coat and throwing a bomb, that kind of cartoony violence, right? So we, we made the bomb. Spy versus spy. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, and the Martian from Bugs Bunny stuff. Remember this Martian where Bugs Bunny goes off to this crazy Martian? The Iridium Q modulator. Yes. Yes, of course. Yeah, Marty Martian. Very angry. (laughs) Oh, yours is way better than mine. You just schooled me. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. That type of, it's that type of violence, you know. So, yeah, we enjoy it a lot. You hinted via email when we were corresponding, getting ready for this podcast, that Gid Adler is more than just a game. Mm-hmm. What's going on? Uh, what, what's going on today with it? The thing is, I, are you talking about the book kind of thing? Are we on the same Oh, book? yes, yeah. that you picked up what I was putting down, the book. We wanted to have a story with Get Adler. It was kind of a story to begin with, you know. Everything I just said about getting Adler. And what happened was this inspired more stories. So I ended up writing four stories or four cases altogether. It starts with uh, Agent Sarah Gold. And, you know, the first story is kind of like Get Adler to really match up with the game. But in story two and three, they become more detective stories. And there's uh, a murder or a suicide kind of thing in the second story. They don't know what it is. Of course, it turns out to be... Uh, a murder. Don't but don't give away any plot spoilers, sir. Oh, sorry, <laughs> but anyway, the thing is, I just wanted to kind of say they they go over to detective stuff in story two and story three. In story four, it's Adler's revenge, uh, kind of like oh, the Empire nice. Strikes Back. You know, I mean, Adler comes back in story four, and you know, so we let a couple people read those stories, and they liked them. We were just going to self-publish it ourselves and bring it kind of with the game at some point. But what happened was, I also sent some out to some literary agents. And one of the literary agents has said she's interested in it and she's reading it right now and she's in the UK. So I've just had to kind of stop all that because they don't want you to bring it out in any way if they're interested in it. Fingers crossed. Maybe you get a big publication out of this. (laughs) Yeah. You know, we're trusting and we're hoping and uh, but whether uh, someone takes it or not, it's, you know, it's still a great little tie into the game. Yeah. Randall, let me ask you. You say that the stories after the first story are more detective stories. Mm -hmm. Is this something where the readers can try to figure it out along with the characters as the story goes? Yeah. Does it ask right before the reveal, I've got it. Do you know how I've got it? And (laughs) then as the reader, you try to figure it out? Or is it more of just a narrative arc where you're just supposed to sit back and enjoy and be surprised by how everything comes to fruition and how everything is deduced and figured out? Yeah, it's a great question. And the thing is, I think the more you write, of course, I've read some Agatha Christie and Sherlock Holmes and stuff, and you learn a little bit more the more you read these these books, you know, how they keep everything secret till the end. Right. So I didn't want to have, I find Agatha Christie and, and Sherlock Holmes, they have kind of a formula, especially Agatha Christie, where she'll just always have like eight suspects, you know. That's why the books are three and four hundred pages long, and you go through each suspect, and then it kind of narrows down, narrows down. And I wanted something, what I consider, a more realistic, even though she's a great writer and her story are incredibly great and descriptive but I wanted it to be kind of like maybe one or two suspects you know like uh, is it this person or is it that person and then can you figure out towards the end but you know Dan King 
read this novella. I sent a copy to him, and he said something about the fourth story. He said it's kind of like an escape room puzzle. So by the time I got to the fourth, Ooh. yeah, by the time I get to the fourth story, Adler's revenge. Miss Gold has been kidnapped. Adler's broken out of prison, and so the whole story is about that. That Inspector Sharp and Tarasov comes into this story, and they have to figure out where is Miss Gold and what is Adler actually doing, and how a sinister devious is he? And it gets a lot more serious. And they cannot find her. It's all in London, all in Trafalgar Square. Right to the end, you don't know really what's going to happen. I'm intrigued. Now, you just name-dropped Game Boy Geek, Dan King. Yeah. He's a good guy. I like his reviews. I like his show. Yeah. He likes a game. He plays the sax. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Dan King. Very cool. Yeah. We only sent a few copies out, but one to him, so I take it he really likes you know deduction and all that kind of stuff but we were just talking about a couple of things and i just sent it to him and i was really surprised that he really liked it and he gave me a couple of comments yeah i've been encouraged with that any chance that little old alan girding can get a copy no pressure i know you're on the show and absolutely and it's, it's really good timing too. i won't do anything with it i'll just read it and give you notes back oh i just i'm excited Please do. And you know, Alan, I just want to say, I know it's your show and everything. Uh, we're so impressed by you, my wife, Soka, and myself. We have struggled with this stuff through the years. It's hard to get, you know, really good encouragement and feedback. You've been such an encouragement for us. You've backed both of our Kickstarters. I know you backed lots of Kickstarters because I heard what you said, Christina, on the Girls Game Shelf on the show. But, you know... We're, I'm uh, a Kickstarter addict, yes. Yeah, yes. but you've been a real great encouragement to us, you know, just not just in the Kickstarter, but in emails and all kinds of stuff. And I just wanted to just say that publicly, that we're very impressed with you. And we're very happy with you. <laughs> uh, I'll take it. Thank you very much. I don't usually get too many compliments, so I'm not sure how to handle them, but <laughs> I will take it. Thank you so much. I think it's good to see someone who has a lot of heart in what they're doing be able to express that in the creative outlet that they want. And I got that right away, that this is a very independent game and these very independent projects, just like the story. And even your elevator pitch, it just had a whole bunch of, for lack of a better term, soul to it. And that's what I love. As I play Get Adler, I can't help but think of your Kickstarter and our personal correspondence, yeah. and it has that extra feel to it. Think of it this way. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of artwork out there. We'll talk about classic paintings. Yeah. But the paintings that sell the best, they have the story behind it. Like Van Gogh, not that you're Van Gogh or anything, but as an example, Van Gogh mm -hmm. didn't sell any of his paintings until the tragic story of lead poisoning and, oh, that's why he has all those crazy colors and whatnot. And oh. now there's this whole intrigue behind his art. Now it's priceless. I love that about my game shelf is being able to look at so many of the games and not just appreciate them for the solid games that there are in that collection, but the story of the people behind those games is probably even more enjoyable to me than many of the games. Anyway. I'm rambling. But you just hit something big because Please. if you know about Van Gogh and uh, Monet, and I'm not a big art connoisseur and I'm not a big expert, but Van Gogh and Monet appear in this, not, not the people, but their paintings and stuff are talked about in this story. And painting and artwork and artists are a big part of Adler's Revenge and through the story. So you're going to really enjoy that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You've already got me sold, so yeah. you don't have to sell me. This, yeah. is, this uh, and, is exciting. And I can't even sell it to anyone because we have no idea what the agent's going to do. So this might not even come out for a year. I don't know, but I'm just going to give you a copy anyway behind the scenes. So yeah. Nice. Randall, I appreciate that. <laughs> it's yeah. so cool. Yeah. Benefit of knowing you. Uh, what mm -hmm. I wanted to talk about is I was at Barnes & Noble just last week walking through and sure enough on the shelf, there's Get Adler. Yeah. 
And one thing we've never had a guest talk about, nor have we even talked about, is distribution. And yet I get a lot of knaves and knights that ask me, hey, what's your advice about distribution? And when it comes to distribution for myself and Sean with Tuesday Night Games, we honestly are just using Amazon. So we're not the best source to talk to when it comes to distributing our games through whatever avenues. Do you feel comfortable sharing your experiences and how you got into Barnes & Noble? What was that like? Sure. I, What's I don't the mind. story? I, yeah, I, I don't have too much to say, but... You know, we have found it really tough to get it into even with a distributor just because we're too small. Well, that's what they always tell us anyway, you know. I guess the big distributors in the USA are Alliance and ACDD and some other ones. We've been through the years, we've been picked up by Asdevium once or twice. So in, you know, when you're in Canada and other places, the USA is the market you really want to get into, you know, the high population. So that's really tough, you know. But what you have to do, what we have to do anyway, is you have to try to contact the majors the big stores and talk to the buyers. Can you give a very specific example of a store that you contacted and said, hey, we'd like you to carry our game, even especially if it's a failure story. Did anyone say, no, you never even got the number or someone hung up on you or said, hey, we're not interested? Yeah. And then I'll tell you what happened with Barnes & Noble too. You get lots of no's. I mean, no's is part of life. You know, when you're trying to sell, when you're small people like us, small company, you're doing everything, right? You're sweeping the floor, you're doing sales, you're doing everything. Zilka does all the graphics for us. I'm really blessed that way. Lots of people do lots of stuff, but you're doing everything. So, you know, at certain times early in the year, you have to phone the stores and stuff. And lots of times buyers won't call you back or they won't email you. And, you know, you're really, you're sending your emails out to everybody. You're trying to get contact information. And if you can afford to go to all the big fairs, you're going to have more success if you can go to the New York Toy Fair, if you can go to Nuremberg, if you can go to these places. I mean, second, I have a secret to tell you about something I'm working on right now. Okay, I'm writing this down. Secret, but keep on going. I will remind you about the secret that you're going to go public with. I'll tell you a little bit. But what the biggest thing is, you know, you get such joy when finally a buyer pays attention to you especially somebody big, right? So we did well with Soccer Tactics. We were able to get, but they were like soccer distributors and soccer stuff. But, you know, they were really good to us. You're talking to buyers. And so it's always the same, no matter who you're talking to, big and small. And then the buyer with Barnes & Noble last year was interested in Get Adler, but we didn't get into their fall time, right? So she said, come back to us in the spring, which was the spring of 2017. So we came back. And this, just to make it clear for our knaves, the way it works is that they have a due date for which they submit everything that they're going to be distributing. Mm -hmm. And so that due date had passed. Yeah. And so they couldn't get, get Adler for that due date. So yeah. you had to wait until the next yeah. due date of product line release. Okay, continue, sir. Right. And I and believe me, I'm no expert. I just, I try, right? So in spring of 2017, we came back to them again. And you know, you're talking to lots of different people trying to, but there was a new buyer in place at Barnes & Noble. And I don't think I can say any names right now, but she sent me an email I could, and I could just frame the email. We had sent kind of our new box top because our first Kickstarter had a different one and was skinny and small. Then we did the new artwork. And she said something like, I love it or that's great or something, right? And when a buyer sends that to you, it's like gold, you know? And then her very next email, she said, oh, are you set up as a vendor? You know, and then you're thinking, well, wow. And, you know, I mean, we a couple of times we've been set up with vendors with, we've had a Zellers in Canada, which is kind of like Target. We were there once before. But anyway, it was big news and that got the whole ball rolling and, you know, how many games and how are we going to ship them and the whole thing. So that was really, really exciting. And one yes is worth, you know, the 10 or 20 no's you're going to get per year. 
that's my story there, kind of with distributors. You just have to perseverance. You have to keep plugging away. You know, you're going to get lots of no's, but you have to go after those buyers. Someone said to me years ago that the buyers are the kings, you know, or queens. And that's the truth. You know, that's it. So, Randall, what's the secret? The secret I want to say, it came into when you're talking about distributors and buyers and all this kind of stuff. To me, it's always about relationships, right? Like other people, I've made mistakes in my life and sometimes you burn bridges and sometimes things don't work out, but you should try as much as possible to not burn bridges and people that you met years ago can come back in. So without giving away anything, because I can't, all I want to say is I have one company who's looked at Get Adler in the past year, past six months. It is someone that I have kept relations with through the years. From the beginning, say like around 2003 or something, you know, as I went out for a few years to today. And then every so many years, you know, we'll meet them somewhere or talk to them or I'll have a new idea and they'll, but they were always kind of open to look at the next thing I had or if I had something new and nothing ever, ever worked out. And then with Get Adler, it's the first time I think it's, it's really the game that we've been looking for all these years, really a game that can be a mainstream game, you know, kids, adults. So they're really interested in it. They played it. They really like it. You know, once again, it's about timeframes. Does it fit and stuff? And then I have another idea, kind of a new idea for this year. And they're really interested. Look at that. So that's all I can say is that, you know, you just have to keep plugging away and keep relationships good. And, and you know, it might be the next game or next product you have will, boom, will just come through, you know. That's my little secret. <laughs> Don't burn bridges. Avoid it as much as you can. Nice. I want to ask, how is distribution going if you're able to share that? Because my understanding, and my understanding is usually wrong, is that they just want to taste at first to see if it succeeds. And then if it succeeds, then they say, okay, we'll get it in bulk. Basically, almost selling on consignment where they only pay for the copies that sell. Now, I know bigger stores like Barnes & Noble, they don't do that. But what's the equivalent? Are you able to share that at all? Or is that just total off the record stuff? No, well, I'll share, I'll share what I can. I don't think anything I'm saying is, is uh, hurting anything. And I hope it's not. But anyway, I'll just be general. Most board games, as you know, are made in China because it's just too expensive right now. Right, correct. Unless you're making tons. So a big part of it is you know shipping because shipping is such a big factor. So we'll pick up directly in China. Will you have to ship that to a DC, a distribution center, or two of them in the USA? You know That's all a big factor in what you're doing. And of course, the buyer will let you know all that. You'll be speaking close to the buyer. And so for us, they ordered X amount of games. And the good news for us was it was not on consignment and we needed it because we, you know, you have to pay your manufacturer and you're going to have customs. And another big thing is, of course, your, uh, this past year, we had two customs nightmares. So your games are shipping nice and early, like at the end of summer, they wanted them by, say, October. So even though they ordered in the spring stuff, it was all for the fall, right? And that's what I wanted because you want to be in the stores in the holidays, you know, and Christmas time and everything. That's when they sell. So, of course, here it is. They're, they're coming. They're in customs. And then we had two nightmares, one in the USA, one in Canada, where the games uh, just got stuck in customs and it was just bizarre. Then you really start to worry because they have times and deadlines and everything in your small company. And you think, oh, yeah, sure. Barnes & Noble is going to think we're idiots, you know? Right. You're saying, no, it's customs. It's customs. If I could tell this little tiny story, the one in Canada, we got delayed again at the end of, you know, getting into September, October, and it really starts to get dicey then, you know? And the big thing was they told us because of actually the drug crisis, the fentanyl drug crisis. 
And I didn't even know that some of these drugs are coming from China. I had no idea. And they said, they're really cracking down on this. They're just pulling everything. And our customs broker in Vancouver was telling us that we were like, wow, we had no idea. So when you talk about distribution, you have another big wild card in there now, which is customs. So we managed to get our games finally into Barnes & Noble into October, but they should have been there a month or two before that. But they were really nice with us. And the way they work is you're going to sell what you have as much as you can in the holidays and promote as much as you can. But they decide after the holidays, say January, February, whatever, they will decide if the numbers were good enough. And if they were, you can stay in the store. And if they're not, then you're out. And that's just the way it works. So are you responsible for the copies that didn't sell or are they already done and sold? And so Barnes and Noble has to take the hit or the distributor has to take the hit for any copies that didn't sell. They decide we didn't sell enough to keep on going. Yeah. You know, a lot of those stores, like you said, everybody's different, right? And what the other stores are doing, I don't know what Walmart and Target's doing, but Barnes & Noble for uh, for us have been very fair, very nice, and they have bought everything they have ordered. And, you know, they're smart, like you said. I mean, they're not going to go out and order 10,000, 20,000, 50,000 of an unproven game. Like you said, they want to see, does it sell, right? So I would say relatively in the big picture, we're talking lower numbers. You know, we're not Asmodee or anybody. uh, So have you heard if they're signing you up for another year? Or is that still yet to be determined? It's still yet to be determined. And, you know, we've also... Oh, man. Yeah, we, we saw something on some Facebook page one time where somebody said Barnes & Noble were cutting back on games too, like overall. So that stuff... What? Uh, yeah, that's, that's the wrong move, Barnes & Noble, because <laughs> it is literally the only game store within a 15-mile radius of where I'm at. So that would be a mistake. I, I know that's crazy, but I know I'm not alone. I know a lot of people don't have a friendly local game store that is right next door to them. A lot of people love Barnes & Noble, but I've just seen some articles. People have pushed some links. So there are some stories out there. I I have no idea myself what Barnes & Noble is going to do. But, you know, we did see recently that Toys R Us is also cutting back stores and stuff too. So there's all kinds of things afoot out there. (laughs) Wow. Well, that's intense. I hope this podcast helps. I hope that I I don't want to be too much of your shill, but at the same time, I know the passion and heart that you have towards your game and the gaming industry. So hopefully it all works out and you get signed up for another year. And I'm going to be totally honest. I've seen a lot of the games on Barnes and Noble's game shelf and Good Adler has a lot of them trumped. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. Man, lots of good advice. I really appreciate that. Randall, thank you so much for sharing all of this juicy information from the inside of being a small company. If we want to know more about you, Caper Games, and what you do, maybe you want to get our hands on Get Adler, but we don't have a Barnes & Noble, or maybe some of our listeners hate Barnes & Noble and they don't want to go, what should they do? Well, they should check out our website, capergames.ca, .ca as in Canada instead of .com. You can order the game there and just contact us anytime, send us an email. So that's the best way to get us. And I'm Alan Gerding, A-L-A-N-G-E-R-Ding. You can find me on the Facebook and tweets at Alan Gerding. But more importantly than me, for sure, is this podcast and this company, Tuesday Night Games. Follow us on Twitter via at PlayTKG. And best yet, send us an email with your comments or questions. We want to hear from you, especially if you're a knave and you want to be knighted. Send in your personal story. Your story doesn't have to compete with Randall's here. It could just be five minutes, two minutes. It could be the crappiest story ever. We want to hear it. Send in your email to podcast at TuesdayNightGames.com. And I think with that being said, Randall, this episode is... This episode is finished.
the Martian. It was a great callback. I appreciate that. Randall, this was so much fun. I hope you enjoyed your time here. Yes, we did. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Your horror scallywags and land numbers. Don't be forgetting. Next episode, Valentine's Day. Send in your audio for romantical stories. Yarrr. <laughs>